Good morning, and welcome to Elam Lutheran as we gather together as God's people to, to sing his praise, to offer our prayers, to hear his word, and by God's grace, to believe the promise he has shared with us through the gospel. Uh, just a reminder, uh, today is the 90th birthday for Margaret Smith. And uh, although she's on lockdown at the Fieldstone Memory Care Center, uh, cards would still be appreciated. And uh, especially with uh, not being able to, to touch people and have that just human kindness uh, shared. But uh, there are address labels out on the little folding table in the entryway if you would like to... Uh, send a card. It probably won't get there today, but uh, she will extend a, a celebration of her 90th birthday for a couple more days. You will notice that up front we've got a microphone. It's the one with the red string on it. And a little later on, after the message, we're going to come for a time of prayer. And I don't know everything that God has put in your heart and your mind that need to be prayed about. And even if you've got a good, strong voice, uh, the reality is people who are not here present worshiping with us, but are worshiping through the uh, social media things, your strong voice out there can't be heard. Even mine can't without the microphone on social media. And I know from the week before last, I was looking and there were like 115 or 120 views of our worship service a couple weeks ago. So we want those folks to be on the inn also. So if you've got a prayer that you would offer, we want to join with you, and we want them to be able to join with you too. So at that point, if you would use the microphone, that would be a wonderful added bonus. A lot of things to pray about in our country in our neighborhoods, and in the Elam family itself. So just uh, an announcement that I did here, just as we uh, were getting ready to come in here, and that is that the call committee has forwarded a candidate's name to be considered by the Board of Deacons, uh, who may be the one that God has chosen. And hopefully, if that's the case, it'll be also the one that Elam chooses uh, to be the, to the next pastor that would minister, shepherd, and love you and the community. So with that having been said, one of the nice things to do at the very beginning of service is get rid of all the garbage that sort of accumulates in our lives, frustrations, irritations, fears, all those things that are us missing the mark of God's perfect plan for us, that sin is what missing the mark is. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we, we take a few moments to acknowledge our need for God's mercy because of our missing the mark and hearing his promise to us. Almighty God, our maker and redeemer, we poor sinners confess to you that we are by nature sinful and unclean and that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Therefore, we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy and ask you for Christ's sake, grant us forgiveness of all our sins and by your Holy Spirit, increase in us true knowledge of you and of your will, and true obedience to your word, to the end that by your grace we may come to an eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It is the promise of God that comes to us in 1 John. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just. And he will forgive our sins and he will cleanse us from everything that is unrighteous. And so because of your confession, trusting and believing his promise, I tell you what you've heard 
Your sins are forgiven. You have been made righteous in the sight of God, and you are his dearly beloved child. Amen. Come, lead us in worship. We welcome you this morning with that great song, Come Thou Almighty King.
As you remain standing, I'm going to invite you to open up in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. Going to be looking at a little bit of sort of a disappointing story to begin with. It is the night of the resurrection. It's hard to think of a disappointing story on the night of the resurrection but there are some difficult things to come. We're going to start at verse 24, John chapter 20. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Well, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing... You may have life in his name. And we pray, Lord Jesus, even now as we begin to consider your word this day, that your spirit would guide us, that you would lead us into your truth. Even use the words that I speak, Lord, 
to touch the lives of your people, that we would believe who you are and what you've done and what you've made us to be as your dearly beloved children. I pray this, Lord, in your glorious and saving name. Amen. And now, you may be seated. Well, I shared last week in the message that over these next weeks and months, my, my hope and my plan is that we would be spending time in, in this gospel of John, uh, a, uh, a gospel that uh, sends out this call for people to believe and, and shows examples of, of those who've heard the promise, who've, who've seen the ministry of Jesus and have been drawn to him in faith. Well, John, in many ways, shows Jesus to be the eternal God and the incarnate word, the one who brings all creation into existence, the one who was not created but has always been. And I thought this morning I would share just briefly about what the Gospels are trying to communicate and, and where they are sending out that word before we begin to look specifically as the, of the Gospel of John. And I'm sure many of you have heard the term the synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three of the Gospels in our, in our Bible, have uh, such a similar view of Jesus, primarily because they are set out in sort of a chronological order of Jesus' life and ministry. John's a bit different. He doesn't do it that way. But as the synoptic gospels come, each one of them is unique. Example, Matthew. The chosen uh, audience that Matthew has are primarily the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as, as Matthew shares, he shows time and time again how, how this Jesus of Nazareth has fulfilled the promises made by the prophets to be revealed as the one who is the true Messiah of Israel. Uh, in Matthew, he takes a lot of time to, to lay out his presentation to the Jewish people. And as he does it in his 28 chapters, the longest, the most chapters of any of the, of the Gospels, as he lays that out, he fills it, he packs it with the promises and the warnings that have come through, through the ancient writings of what we call the Old Testament. There are more than 100 Old Testament references in the book of Matthew. Uh, many of them direct quotes from the Old Testament. Other, others are maybe a little more subtle illustrations of, of what it was talking about in the Old Testament. Uh, Matthew, writing to the Jewish people particularly, is very careful about the way he communicates what Jesus says in his times of teaching. Always in the book of Matthew, paying attention to, to the third commandment of not taking the name of the Lord your God in vain, the Jewish people were very careful not to even mention the name of God. If you don't mention it, you're not going to use it wrong. And so when Jesus is teaching and Matthew writes those teachings, it is the kingdom of heaven is like a sower who sows, a, a, a diamond or a pearl merchant or, or a fisherman or a farmer or all of these different things. It's always the kingdom of heaven. Unlike the Gospel of Mark, who frequently will say the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of heaven. His audience, Mark's audience, is different than Luke. Uh, than Matthew's. See, Matthew was probably, and this is a guess, uh, probably the, the second of the Gospels to be put onto parchment. The first one was probably the Gospel of Mark. And, 
and the audience of Mark tended to be a more Roman audience. And so the Romans, they didn't have problems with talking about God. They had so many gods, uh, just like the Greeks. Uh, they're a pantheon of gods. Everywhere you turned around, there was another god. Gods were no big deal to them. Using their names was not a problem. So, so when Mark talks about some of those same parables, it is the kingdom of God frequently in the gospel of Mark. Mark, uh, writing to the Romans, realizes that they're a very cosmopolitan group of people. Their lives are packed with busyness. I, this didn't really happen, but just imagine all those, we would in our day call them soccer moms, uh, maybe you'd call them their day gladiator moms, who were loading the kids in the chariot to get them off to gladiator practice. They had so many things going on, they didn't have time to read. Mark, it is the shortest at 16 chapters of all the Gospels. And not only that, but as he tells the stories and the experiences, he slips in a word. And he uses that word 41 times throughout the gospel, and that word is immediately. And immediately, as this takes place and goes on and goes on, and that story is finished, and, and then immediately something else happens. And as the reader reads, everything has happened so fast, it's like Jesus is running through his three years of ministry, all condensed down. <sighs> but the people from Rome and those impacted by Roman culture they could read it quicker and, and see uh, that it wasn't going to take them a lot of time to get the basic facts. And it's obvious that the, the readers are unfamiliar with, with the Jewish customs, and so Mark sort of spells these out so, so these people new to the story can understand how important it is that Jesus is the fulfillment, again, of the Old Testament promises not only to the Jewish people, but to all people, the ones that God loves so very much. Luke, again, he has a, a different audience still. Uh, it's primarily a Gentile audience that Luke is speaking to, uh, more of those who have been impacted by, by the Greek culture. That was the culture that Luke grew up in. He knew that these intellectual people needed to understand. And so as, as Luke writes his gospel, and later on the, the book of Acts, he goes into very deep, precise detail. Apparently he has conversations with some of those early players in the story. Players like uh, Mary, the wife of Joseph and the mother of Jesus. He, he is able to share with these things how in the, in the narrative of Jesus' birth, how she pondered these things deep in her heart. How, 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 how her soul would be pierced by some of the struggles that her son is going to be going through. Uh, Luke was a close friend and actually a missionary partner with the Apostle Paul. And so much of what he shares, even though Paul wasn't there at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there's a lot of stuff in Paul's life, especially in the book of Acts, that gets communicated through the writings of Luke. Luke is also, uh, uh, by trade and by training, a physician. And so when, when Jesus tells the story about how hard it is for a rich person to enter the, to the kingdom of heaven, it's, well, what was the example that he used? It is easier for a camel to pass through what? The eye of a needle. And the other gospel writers talk about a sewing needle. Not Luke. For Luke, 
it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a suture. He's a doctor. That's the kind of needles that doctors use. Unique in what he shares. When Paul is imprisoned in Caesarea, uh, awaiting to go his trip to Rome, there is the possibility at that point that, that Luke had a chance to interact with Mary, who herself was struggling to realize how to be the mother to the very Son of God. And he could find out some of those things that she was going through. Matthew and, and Mark, they don't talk about that. Interesting also, there's something unique in the, in the Gospel of Luke. It talks about the hands-on, indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit more than any other Gospel writers. And not only that, it talks about the interaction that Jesus has with women in a real positive way, where in many parts of the world, and especially in that part of the world, uh, women were not uh, viewed in such a powerful and loving way. As Luke writes his gospel, women are elevated in many ways, even more than in the other gospels. And, and then we get to the gospel of John, probably the very last of all the gospels to be written. Imagine, if you will, Peter and Paul out ministering as uh, missionaries, heading out to various parts of the world, and what they have for scripture to preach from are those 39 books that begin in Genesis and end in Malachi. They've got the Old Testament. The New Testament hasn't been written yet. The Gospels haven't been penned. The letters of Paul have started to come out. As they share, they look always back to the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Well, here comes the book of John. And the book of John, the guess is it's not a real narrow specific, it got written at this time. It's about a three-decade guess, somewhere between 70 A.D. to 100 A.D. before John died, as he shares these wonderful things. And, and, and John, in his writings, shows the awesomeness, the splendor, the majesty of Jesus, the kind of thing that was seen on that Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John were up there on the mount, and and their eyes were unveiled and they saw the glory of God before he headed up toward what would later be taking place on Holy Week. Uh, so powerful are the presentations that come in the Gospel of John and, and the book of Revelation and others that it is the, the Orthodox Church, the Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, who most of their attraction and proclamation of the gospel comes through the eyes of John. And you see these glorious icons with silver and gold. And, and, and to us, boy, does that seem idolatry maybe for some folk? But what they are doing their best is trying to represent what is something beyond our ability to understand in the book of Revelation. So often we hear those words, and it was like uh, the sound of many thunders. It was like the sound of many roaring winter uh, rivers. It was like, uh, the reason John is writing it was like is because when he sees these things, they are so far beyond any human earthly experience that, that he's been invited up to in this, in this vision that the closest he could say is it, it was like that but, but it was so much more. That's what we have in the Gospel of John and in the other writings of John. 
John presents Jesus again as the promised Messiah of God and that by by believing, by trusting in him, people have a chance for life everlasting. And John uses the word believe and faith and others that are associated with that word nearly a hundred times. It is such an important thing. John wants people to be invited in to have a living faith. John doesn't organize his gospel like the others did. They did theirs chronologically. John, he writes the story of Jesus' ministry with with a direction that, that, that brings together many things, not necessarily in the order that they happened. Uh, John shares seven I am statements of Jesus. Now, now, the Jewish people were very careful not to put those two words together, I am, because that's the name of God. When, when God introduces himself in, in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses, what's your name? I am. That I am, is that what he says? And from that point on, the Jewish people were very careful not to say, I am. What, is, what does Isaiah say when, when God calls him? Here am I. Not I am here, but here am I, to make sure that no one would confuse those names of God. They didn't want to abuse his name. Well, when Jesus in the Gospel of John speaks about his unique ministry, he is bold to say seven times in seven different ways, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door, or probably a better translation would be the gate, because he's talking about the gate for the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And I am the true vine. All of those were declarations that Jesus was making that was saying he himself is the eternal God from forever. And he was not ashamed to use those words, I am, because I am is who he is. Also, there's seven different things that, that, that John presents showing Jesus' power over so many of the earthly things that control us. And the, the seven miracles that come out in John's gospel as he arranges it. He, uh, first miracle that we see up in Cana, the wedding where the, where the party favors fell empty, and Jesus turns water into the best wine that they'd ever had. He heals a, a son of a, of a high official in the town of Capernaum, where, where that became his center base of ministry. Later on, he heals a paralytic by, by the pool of Bethesda down in Jerusalem itself. Makes this person so he's able to walk. It's Jesus who, who feeds 5,000 people with just very minimal amounts of things, some fish and some pieces of bread. It's Jesus who, who shows his power over nature. Not only can he tell the, the seas, calm down, but he can walk across the seas. Amazing those who see what takes place. As a man who was born without sight, whose fault was it? Him or his parents? Jesus says, wrong question. He was born blind that God might be glorified and sight comes to this man. Jesus has the power and then comes and raises Lazarus from death to life four days 
after he's died. John shares the power of God ministering in the words and the works of the one that we call Jesus, the Messiah, the promised of God. So let's quick look at this experience that Thomas has. There's other experiences that John talks about of people who come to faith, a, 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 a leader within the, the Jewish community, a guy by the name of Nicodemus, who, who comes to speak to him by night at one point. Later on, sort of tries to have the Sanhedrin slow down on their crazy accusations against Jesus and finally comes out as a bold disciple after Jesus' crucifixion as he and Joseph of Arimathea come to, to claim Jesus' body and honor it and love it as they bury him in that borrowed tomb. Or the, uh, the woman who had seen nothing but trouble in her life. She was a Samaritan, lived up there by, by the well that Jacob dug. And, and she had experienced weddings five different times and the loss of married status five different times. And whether they died, ran away, divorced, we, we don't know what it is. But she'd had five husbands and the one she was with now wasn't her own. A woman who saw nothing but grief and sorrow a woman who didn't even come during the regular time of day to get water, but came at a different time so she wouldn't be harassed by the other women and meets Jesus. And she comes for some water for the day and she ends up with water for forever. Everlasting water, living water. Jesus tells her her whole life story not with a hammer to beat her down, but to share the promise. And as she tries to sidestep and says, oh, you're Jewish, and talk about religious things, Jesus speaks to her about the place people worship. Isn't he important? It's the worship in the heart, the true and living God. And what does she do? She runs away, not to hide like Adam and Eve did, but she runs back to town to tell the leaders in the, in the Samaritan community, I found a man who told me everything I've ever done. It's the Messiah, the one that has been promised. She comes to faith, to believe, and she shares the truth. And here's Thomas, three years walking with Jesus, hearing his teaching, seeing his miracles, witnessing the power he has over the natural by his supernatural power and presence, and all of that being seen and seen, you'd think that would sort of cement the deal. And yet on the night of the resurrection, when the other ten gathered together, he wasn't there. Maybe he was hiding. Maybe he didn't get the memo. Maybe he thought everything was lost. Now, three days after the, the Messiah has been murdered. Whatever reason, we don't know. It doesn't say. It just tells us that of the 12, he wasn't there. And we also know Judas wasn't there because he was no more. So the 12 was actually the 10 at this point. And when they shared, the 10 shared that we've seen the Lord. You can, you can imagine the excitement as, as they're telling Thomas, who, who missed out, we've seen him. He's alive. Well, if Thomas was a U.S. citizen, you would know he would be from Missouri, the show me state. Because that's what he says. He's got to show me 
if you think I'm going to do this, unless I can put my finger in the nail prints and see them, unless I can put my hand into that side. What's his words? I will not believe. Must have been a pretty miserable week for Thomas. You know, there's so many times when in our times of exasperation, ugly words fall out of our mouth. I hate to have a confession, but I'm guessing I'm not the only one who has had ugly words fall out of my mouth and wish I could grab them back. But they've already gone out, and they have oftentimes hurt someone else. And I can't unhurt that hurt that I've caused. I can't unsay those words that I said. We can't unring the bell. It must have been a tough time for Thomas. Because these friends he's been with for the last two and a half, three years, they're giddy with excitement. And he's got a gray cloud of doubt and disappointment. And that stupid thing that he said, I will not believe. The next week comes by. The next Sabbath night. Excuse me, the next Sunday night. And they're gathered together. This time Thomas is with them. Doors are locked. There's no knocking at the door. There is just all of a sudden the physical presence of Jesus. And what does he do? The first word he shares, I think, focused at Thomas, was what he said to the other disciples a week before. Peace be with you. Shalom. Peace be with you. And zeroes in specifically on Thomas. Here's my hand. See? Put your finger. Doesn't say Thomas did. Here, here, here's my side. You, 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 you see. Put your hand. Doesn't say that he did. What it does say that he did was that he falls down and he declares the truth. A truth that supplants that stupid thing he said a week before from no longer I will not believe to looking at Jesus, my Lord and my God. You see, John does a great job of showing people in the midst of process of of being on the outside and being brought in, sometimes slowly and sometimes very rapidly, to becoming the people who believe what Jesus has done, what Jesus has said, and who Jesus is. They believed. The Gospel of John wants to share with those early readers and with you and me. He wants to share with us the true truth, not some just pious, hopeful wishfulness, but true truth, verifiable truth that Jesus is the living God and that we would believe that true truth of what is. And so what happens to Thomas? We, we, we don't hear an awful lot within the scriptures about Thomas after that. Oh, we love to mock him so easily. Doubting Thomas. Brr. No. What we find out from church history is that not only was Thomas a disciple of Jesus, 
He was also a missionary apostle. And where John, excuse me, where Thomas was called to minister was on the subcontinent of India. And as he went with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true and living God, it didn't sit so well with those who were the Brahmins of their religion, the leaders of their religion. Thomas was martyred. He was murdered because of his confession and proclamation of Jesus Christ is Lord and God. Not only for him, my Lord and by God, but for the universe completely. Jesus is the Lord and he is God. Thomas goes from one who says, I will not believe, to one who makes a bold confession, to one who becomes a powerful proclaimer, and because of that, one who becomes a martyr. It's interesting that in the Greek language, the word witness, one who proclaims what they have seen, and the word martyr, the one who gives up their life for what they have proclaimed, is the same word. The word for witness and the word for martyr in Greek is the word martyria. Many times when we make a witness, there is a dying that comes. For most of us, that probably will not be the shedding of our blood. It may. But it may also, as we bear witness to the truth of who Jesus is, may see some death in relations. People who don't want to hear that, don't want to believe that, who've, who've embraced the the American civil religion idea that everybody is going to heaven, except for a couple people like Jeffrey Dahmer and Adolf Hitler and, and Pol Pot. But, but everyone else, when they die, goes to heaven. Well, that's not the witness of Scripture. And if you dare go against what the, the current thought and push is, you may see some friendships die because you're way too strict you're way too straight as if somehow telling the truth is unloving the most important thing that you can do is speak the truth as did Thomas proclaiming Jesus as my Lord and my God Again, those last words that, that, that come as Jesus speaks to him and responds, you, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Has anyone here with their physical eyes seen Jesus? Any hands? Have any of you here with your heart and mind, believed and trusted in Jesus. I want to tell you what Jesus says. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If you're believing, the blessing of Jesus is upon you. And then the very next words that come from that. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which aren't written in this book, but these are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. Believing in him makes you blessed of God and gives to you life forever in his name, that no one can take away. Oh, it may change, but life eternal has already been sparked into us 
and it goes forever. And I would pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us hearts that would believe what it is that you have done, that we have life, that we have blessing, that we have a God who is God. Help us to believe it, Lord. Help us to proclaim it so that many more might be drawn into your kingdom of grace. And I ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite you now to stand as together we're going to sing, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. Frequently, we speak the words of one of the creeds that the church has used to spell out what is the true truth, as opposed to what that is false and confusing in the world. And we, we proclaim our faith together as believers so that in this friendly community, we have strength and encouragement to share that truth, that same truth, with those outside that may be drawn in. We use the words this day of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Again, I'm going to invite you to, to join together in, in out loud prayer. Don't just have the pastor do it, but ask again that, that you would use the microphone so that those visiting and uh, worshiping with us from a distance might be able to hear your prayers and join together with you. So Heavenly Father, again, we're so thankful that, uh, that you've sent your spirit that helps us in our weakness, even when we don't know how to pray like we should. You give us those words. You give us those sighs and groans that are beyond our understanding. I pray, Lord, that you would give us boldness to come before you now in the name of Jesus, speaking words inspired in our heart by your Spirit. Father, the first thing that I would pray for this morning would be for the family of Justice Ginsburg. I pray, Lord, that you would, would bring a, a certain peace to them as they mourn the loss of 
one who has impacted our country in so many ways. I would pray, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would reveal the truth of who you are, the Messiah of Israel, and that her family would come to know you, Lord Jesus, as the one who is the living word. We pray, Lord Jesus, for our country. With this death, Lord, the probability of much more and increased unrest. We pray for protection, especially, Lord, for those who have been uh, chosen to serve in the highest offices of our land, whether executive, judicial, or legislative. Pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, you would give patient wisdom as decisions are being made now over these next week. Especially pray, Lord, that you would give wisdom to those who know you, Lord Jesus, to wisely choose and be good stewards of the vote that has been entrusted to them. We pray for our country, Lord. We pray for healing. We pray for wholeness. And we pray for mercy, Lord. And I would pray, Lord, that the choices that are made for elective office would be the ones that we need at this time not necessarily the ones that we might want. Lord Jesus, we just come to you this day and we just thank you for all the blessings that you have given each and every one of us. Lord Jesus, I just pray for this pandemic. I pray for this that this virus be wiped out in your name. And Lord, I just come and ask that you be with all those who aren't here with us today, that you are with them and that you guide them and that we all seek your face and your wisdom as we come to this vote this year. In your precious and your holy name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray for the next pastor that will serve this congregation, loving them and leading them in your grace and in your word. We pray that as uh, a call committee and uh, board of deacons have uh, a name of consideration, we pray for your leading uh, for them as well as for the individual, Lord, that if this is the plan for this time, that you would make certain to all involved that this is the way to go. And if there's other plans, Lord, we pray that that would fall through. We entrust it to you. We thank you for your loving grace. We thank you for, for your plan for good in this place, in these days, in the days to come. We thank you for your faithfulness and love, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to pray with you people. I pray that you would guard our hearts and mind in the name of Jesus. I pray over our children's ministry that as we plan for coming together to serve um, the elementary children, that you would um, provide protection and care for us. 
and that we would be able to tell them about Jesus and to serve them. I pray over the hearts and mind of our youth as they are in school and out going to college, even online, Lord. I pray you're a hedge of protection for them and that you would guard their hearts and their minds. And I pray against um, anything that would seem to be worldly wisdom, Lord, that they would search the scriptures and find truth that would guide their lives. And I pray for your light to shine um, here in Lake Stevens and in the Pacific Northwest as we come into a time where there is less sunshine. I would pr um, pray that there would be light in our spirits, Lord, um, as we are still in um, a separation mode from being with people, God. I, I just pray that you would lift up our hearts and our minds, Lord. And that there would be less depression, especially for the young adults, Lord. Um, I pray that they would be able to come and seek um, seek you, Lord, in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank you, Lord, for the clean air that is now filling our territories, for the moisture that has come nourishing the soil for your spirit that draws near to breathe in us life. With thankfulness, Lord Jesus, we pray all of these things in your name, even as you taught your people to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I would invite you now to open your hands, to open your hearts, and receive the blessing of God who loves you so very much. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with the greatest of all his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Again, there are address labels for Margaret Smith out on the folding table. Those last words of Jesus, peace be with you. Go in that peace. Thank you.